0: It's Gabriel. It's Bailey. And this is CYMK. Hi, welcome to (laughs) CMYK. Who are we speaking here with today?
1: I'm Mark Epstein, Powder Deluxe. Deluxe.
2: Ceramic Artist. (laughs) And you're here in town for a ceramic workshop here with the Contra Clay studio. And we're so excited to have you.
1: I'm excited to be here.
2: Would you say you're mostly ceramicist? A ceramic artist. Ceramic artist,
1: okay. Is way I've always thought about it. Yeah. They always go round and round. Are you a craftsman? Are you an artist? And I have a friend who swears he's a, he's a craftsman. And I'm like, no, you're an artist because <laughs> it's way more than just craft. You're yeah. not just making this one thing over and over again. You're putting your entire life into yeah. it. You know, so that's pretty much the way I've always felt about it. I'm a ceramic artist, and my business is not called pottery. It's called Clayworks.
2: Yes, right. Because
1: I'm making a variety of things out of clay. It's not just making pottery. And so it's not Mark's Pottery. It's Epstein Mm -hmm. Clayworks.
2: Great.
1: And it's always been that way because I didn't start out making pottery. I started out making weird, berserk things because that was your first entrance into clay and going from two dimensional to three dimensional was just so berserk because I was an illustrator, I called myself an illustrator, I drew ever since I was a kid and in high school really got into it and then actually won scholarship money in high school to go to college. And so when I got to college, they made me take a clay class. <laughs> and I argued with them and they were like, "No, you're going to take a clay class, a design class, a drawing class, okay. and you know, you go down the line, you take them all. And I'm like, fine." But by the second semester, I was hooked because all the drawings that I spent all this time trying to make look three-dimensional, all of a sudden I was making three-dimensional things. Mm-hmm. And that was just so cool to to actually know this piece fully dimensionally all the way. I've had my fingers on every part of that piece. I haven't drawn it and in, in kind of impressed the idea that it's round to you. So I still do a lot of drawing, but it's only, you know, displays for my brain to to make three-dimensional
2: great okay so um the first question I wanted to ask you was it's a teapot workshop you're doing this weekend so um, it's a focal point for the workshop Uh, why are you interested in like at the pouring vessels specifically for this workshop or was it just random
1: no it was specific for this group that I was gonna do teapot workshop and show them hand-building techniques as well as throwing techniques because uh, you get a very different attitude, visual attitude, from the two different techniques of putting things together. But that was what we originally set up. Uh, I make a lot of teapots, and I've always made a lot of teapots, as, you know, since my skills got good enough. Uh, what I love about the teapot is that there are so many parts to come together to create one functioning object. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after you learn how to throw and make things round, it's how do you make it interesting enough for you to keep going? And working in the groups of ideas and and playing with the the pieces that has multiple parts to them that makes you think a little bit more about what it is you're trying to get across and for me it's always trying to get across my ideas the ideas in my head get them out of my head and into the public so other people can decide what they think about them
2: you make a good point because you have to I guess, throw or build the main vessel, then you have the spout, then you have the have to pull the handle, and then, yeah. there's a lot Well,
1: of then that. you have to decide whether, do I want a looped overhead handle, or do I want a side handle? Yeah. Do I want it really compact, or do I want to be flamboyant and have a really wild handle? And, you know, a lot of times I'll use the handle as a visual aspect. This mm-hmm. leads your eye from the bottom all the way up to the top of it, instead of just, oop, there's a teapot here, all of a sudden you're following the whole form. Yeah. And so aesthetics always wins out over function in my head because, you know, it needs to look really cool and I need to feel good about it.
0: With all the textures you use within your teapots, are those tools that you use? Are they hand carved?
1: Well, I've got a variety of techniques that I use for putting surface on the teapots, but I do carve a bunch of rollers made out of clay, and then I'll roll those patterns back into the clay. By carving the rollers and then rolling them back in, it raises that line rather than incising the line into it by drawing onto it, Mm -hmm. and that allows the glazes I use to break over all those lines. The rollers themselves, they're memories of everywhere I've been because whenever I go anywhere, whenever I get back from there, I carve new rollers based on what I see out there. So, like, when I was in Thailand, I carved, uh, well, I... Actually, in Thailand, I carved rollers of images I saw on all the uh, uh, temples that I went and visited. And so, when I got to Taiwan, which was a couple of months later, I used all those rollers on the pieces I made in Taiwan. And so those were images from Thailand. And then when I got back to the states, uh, I had all these ro Well, actually, I shipped a bag, a box of rollers back that I never got.
2: Oh, they got lost.
1: And they got lost in the, in the shipping from from Taiwan. And so I had to remake from images that I had taken while I was there. And I'm still <clears throat> using a lot of these. I can tell where I've been by the rollers that I'm <laughs> using which is really cool to me. A lot of people don't understand that and don't realize it, but these are very personal to me. Images mean, to them are like, oh, those are pretty. But to me, it reminds me of my experience wherever the, those images came from. Mm-hmm. That's
2: yeah. beautiful. I like that. That's that cool. is beautiful. You were speaking of form and function earlier, and I thought that... Sp- Specifically about your, is it the luminaries? Mm,
1: yeah. The lamps. Yeah.
2: Oh, they're so beautiful. And then they're just so delicate looking. And then you add that extra component of putting a light bulb or like a lamp uh, base in it.
1: Well, a lot of those luminaries are also made out of translucent porcelain. Yeah. And so when the light is in there, that whole thing glows. And the patterns that I put on there being raised like that, they're like painting dark lines on there without actually having to paint the dark lines on there. And so you see the patterns as soon as that light comes on. It just shows them off. And uh, to me, that's just the richest thing there is.
2: Yeah, they're beautiful.
1: I'm thinking because I make so many different things. I don't lock into any one thing. And I cycle through everything that I make. Whatever I'm making now, this is what I'm making now, but I may not make that again for another year and a half or two years Mm -hmm. because my brain just runs in circles. My ADD brain (laughs) just runs in circles. And so playing and clay allows that brain of mine to, to function reasonably without feeling like I can't focus on anything. But I do run from one project to the next project to the next project well, I need a tool. Okay, well, I get over to where the tool is. Wow, well, I forgot I needed to finish this. So now <laughs> I'm working on this. And then like, well, wait, I need one more piece. And I go back over here and I'm like, oh, this needs work on it right now. Okay, now wait a minute. I started out over there and wait, back <laughs> over there again. And so for me, that works really well yeah. because you could do something different in clay every single day and never do anything twice. Yeah, That's what I love about clay. And that's why I'm still playing in clay, God, 50 years later.
0: I just got into it maybe a year or so ago. I found the wheel to be so therapeutic.
1: The wheel is, you got to remember the wheel is just a toy, just like any other toy, the needle tool, the rib, mm-hmm. the rolling pin. It's just another thing to play with. It's not the end all to anything. Mm-hmm. So that's what I tell my students all the time. That wheel is just a toy. Quit looking at it, go around and round and round. <laughs> But some people, there was a guy that came into my shop the last sale I had. He was like, man, I've been looking for you for three years. I've got a wheel at home, and I find myself just sitting there watching that wheel go round and round and (laughs) round. And I'm like, dude, you need to come in, and I'll show you how to make something with it. Yeah. Quit watching it. (laughs) He's hypnotizing himself. Well, it is. It is (laughs) hypnotizing because, you know, it's... (laughs) It's easy to get caught up in that. And I find myself sometimes doing that.
0: Yeah.
1: But as soon as the piece is done, then I'm changing shapes because, mm-hmm. you know, round gets boring after a while. Yeah. I've
0: Once, only been able to do round because I haven't been doing it that long. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. Well,
1: I think truly that's why my pieces are not completely round all the time. They're all misshaped because when I started out throwing, I couldn't make round. Mm -hmm. And so I played all these games to make them work. When I I first started throwing, I would throw everything on bats. I'd throw these big jars, and then they would collapse on me because I had no skills. And I would turn the bats over on the shelves and stick a stick under them, and they would just hang there and stiffen up. Then I'd flip them back over and then re-throw them round. And then after a while, after I didn't have to do that anymore, and I've got all these beautiful round pots, I'm like, "Well, that's boring. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to what I was doing, where everything wasn't perfectly round."
2: Isn't and, that funny how we we learn an art form just to break the rules on it a little bit?
1: Well, there's a we we really tend to create a naivety that that's just. What well, we are in the beginning, right? We we have this this fresh idea. We don't know what we're doing, so anything is possible. And then we focus down to make sure that we can get everything working the way we want. And you're like, wow, that's that's technically good, but now I want to give it some character. <laughs> and so it was back to where I was. And when I was in uh, college, that was always the talk. We were we want to go back to the primitive aspect of what we where we started because that's the freshest approach to what you're doing it's like a child doesn't have a clue and they just beat stuff out but we've got to the point where you know no I know this doesn't work so I'm not doing that anymore which is why I like teaching because beginners don't know the rules and that gives me courage many times to go back and do things that I know are not working for me or I knew didn't work for me at the time so I want to then get it you know uh back to where it was
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we talk to a lot of people it's the same way you know they're just they like that naïte, naïte, a naivete, a night hello naivete
2: yeah i love it you never stop learning i mean even if you're not an artist anybody and that's well, a good attitude to if have. you're
1: doing it right you never stop learning yeah there were students of mine and i keep going back to them because they keep me alive having students in the shop keep me fresh yeah and I love that because I'm still getting ideas from brand new students and they, they don't realize it. They think that they've somehow copied me mm-hmm. when I've seen what they're doing and I go back and put it to work. in mm-hmm. in my area of the studio, and I have to stop and explain to them, no, I watched you. And that gave me courage to go back and try this again.
2: That's great.
1: So that was one of the biggest reasons for teaching. Whenever I would tell students, I said, look, this is two phase you're here to learn, but I'm here to get your your influence. And they're like my influence. Yeah, you don't believe what influence you have, and that's about giving me the courage to go back and do things that I was never able to make work.
0: There are students in open studio now, because I'll, I'll monitor it sometimes. And they're brand new to clay, and they try out things, and I'm just like, that's so that's something that I wouldn't have even thought of because I want to follow the rules like A B C. But they just hop to try different things.
1: Well, that's the value of being in a varied group. You know, I don't do beginning classes, I do classes and I deal with each student on their own level. And so as part of that, the advanced students learn from the beginning students, the beginning students learn from the advanced students and the intermediate people, they go both directions. And in all of that, then I pick up courage to move into new areas and try new projects. So it's twofold. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. You know, I wasn't getting anything out of it. There's no point to it.
0: Yeah. For your... No, go ahead. Wait. Oh, so you said you did teaching. How long were you a professor for?
1: Oh, I've been teaching part-time for probably 40 years. I taught in uh, private art centers uh, for years before I had a master's degree. Then at one point, I went back and got two master's degrees and started teaching in colleges and universities. Uh, I retired from Cedar Valley College seven years ago after teaching there, 20 years. In the last five years, I was head of the art department there. Wow. And so I taught all kinds of classes. But the problem with being a head of an art department is all of a sudden you're an administrator. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily the teacher anymore. And so that's what really pushed me to retire early because I got tired of all the bullshit.
2: <laughs> I hear the, that from so many <clears throat> of well, our- there are
1: people, you know, administrators yeah. are the first ones to come and go. I mean, teachers stay there for twenty years and administrators are they're they're gone every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so the new one comes in and they decide, we're gonna show you how to do this. And they're giving you all these ideas and you're like, Why are you telling me what to do? I've been <laughs> doing this for thirty years already. <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. And it's just like, do you have a master's degree in my area? Are you qualified to tell me how to teach? Well, no. Do you even have a master's degree? Well, no. Well, then you have no business telling me how to teach students. Yeah.
2: You have two master's degrees.
1: I have a master of arts and a master of fine arts. So the master of art is in art, and the master of fine arts is in ceramics.
2: Great. Okay. That's cool. So what inspired you after getting that first one to go ahead and push for the second?
1: Well, the program I was in their master's program was divided into two parts. And so instead of, like a lot of places where you get a two-year program to get MFA, they were broken up three semesters MA, three semesters MFA. Mm-hmm. And by splitting it in half, that offered them the option to either invite you back or send you away, or it gives the student the option, well, I didn't really have a good time here getting this, so I'm going somewhere else, or I'm leaving, I'm done. Okay. And so in the long run, the two master's degrees pays me more money in the teaching thing uh, because they go on points when they're doing all the hiring. Uh, To me, it was just spending too much time in school. Yeah. (laughs) And I almost quit after M.A. and my graduate professor comes in and drags me into his office and says, no, no, you can't quit now. I said, I'm done with this. This is bullshit. I'm spending more time doing art history than I am working in the studio. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not what I came to school for. And so, you know, without telling me, he's like, art history's not what got you here, and art history's not what's gonna keep you here. But he couldn't tell me, don't worry about the art history, this is all about the studio, but you know, it, art history's not what got you here. Yeah. But, and so I did stick it out, and I had a really good time. And uh, met a lot of really neat people, had a lot of neat experiences, uh, and I'm glad I did, but I could see why a lot of people wouldn't want to keep going.
2: Right. Well, kudos to you. That's amazing. <laughs> Having two well, masters you. and yeah.
1: I like people to know that I started out as an illustrator and, you know, in the middle there somewhere one turn. And that's your entire life. One turn, one direction changed your whole direction of life.
0: So you were an illustrator, you said, and then you got into clay and you liked that it was 3D, how you said, did you? So was your earlier work more sculptural, and then now it's more?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I only got into functional pottery because I was running out of money.
0: <laughs> and people want to buy pretty things. And
1: if I make pots and I make bowls, I could sell those in the student cell, and then go buy more clay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole deal. But no, I, I was making sp- space I was a pothead. as a kid. Well, I'm still a pothead. <laughs> And so, you know, your mind just goes places. And so I'm doing all these weirdo drawings, a lot of pen and ink, a lot of stipple drawings, a lot of fine line drawings, just having a blast with it, watching everything go. But when I got into the clay, all of a sudden these flat pieces started getting three-dimensional. But they were things that you stacked up on the floor. Mm -hmm. They weren't anything you were going to go use for anything. And in the first sales I started doing, carrying these things out to sales, everybody's looking at me going... Okay, what do you do with that? (laughs) I'm like, I express my brain out of that. What do you mean?
2: I completely see where you're coming from with that.
1: And then a little at a time, I got more into function and more into function. But then, you know, you get the the skills down to get your function in line. Then it's how can you make it interesting? And so now everything is kind of fanciful. It's got a little character to it. It's got a little movement to Mm -hmm. it. It was funny because my my second master's show, the title of the show was I Can't Dance. And the sign had all these footprints all the way around it. But every pot in there was twisted and turned, and people were looking at me go, Bullshit. <laughs> Man, every one of these are dancing all the way around this place. Yeah. And so, you know, it was just really neat to see. It, a nice little work on words.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that you have found a way to combine just your passion with making it really cool and crazy and wild with the function that's going to sell and you're going to enjoy also working on it. <laughs> well,
1: I got to the point after spending years going to show after show going, okay, look, they're buying ducks and spoons. They're buying painted saw blades. Why can't I sell stuff? Okay, this is what I made this year. I'm going to make this stuff next year. And I am come in with this stuff next year. And they're like, well, where's the stuff you made
0: last year? <laughs> <I guess. laughs>
1: and so after a while, it was just like, forget this. I'm not chasing the market. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make what I want, and they're either going to buy it or they're not.
0: So you don't feel put in a box anymore? You just kind of do
1: what you do? I make pretty much what I want. That's good. Now, I've got a few odd things. Since I moved to Colorado— Uh, to get business, I have made a few touristy things, mugs with Pagosa Springs on them and postcards with Pagosa Springs on them, ceramic postcards. But, you know, anytime I've ever found something like that where I want to try and make that to make quick money, it's always turned into more work than it's worth, and you're putting more work into it than you could get cheap money out of it. Mm-hmm. And so now, like I said, I just make what I want, when I want. And if they buy it, fine. If they don't, fine. I've got a big yard. Everything can go outside.
0: <laughs> that's a good That's a good headspace to have, though. We had our Christmas ceramic sale this year, and it was our first one. And I was so worried about every other student there was worried about what they were going to sell. Just make something that has you on it. People are going to buy it for you, and you're going to feel out. Make what you want
1: to make. Afterwards. Sell whatever sells. Right. I mean, if you're happy making all the functional stuff and that everybody wants to buy for the kitchen, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, don't find that you need to go chase down a market if, if that's what you don't want to do.
2: Then it feels more like work than...
1: Well, that's the whole point. How much fun is it when yeah. you're chasing down a market? For me, this has saved my life all this time. I mm-hmm. keep going out and making stuff out of clay. And my brain just goes into happy mode. Look, I'm a a bad day in the studio is a better day working than working any time.
0: Yeah. Right. That's great. Oh, my gosh. That's a good quote. About, and I was like, I haven't thought about it like that. I just, once I can't get something right, I'm like, I'll go home. I can't well, do
1: that. You have to think about that kind of stuff when you're, especially if you're not selling a ton of stuff, you know, but you're making the things that you want. and You're always wondering, well, look, I'm in love with this stuff. Why aren't other people feel the same way? Mm-hmm. Well, they're humans and no human feels the same way. When I go to shows now, I set up my shelves and I ask my wife to come in and pick pots to take to the shows because I have a clay-brained, idiot's idea of what is wonderful. And my wife comes in. She goes, why are you taking that? I said, you know, spend all this time explaining (laughs) to her why this is a killer piece. And she goes, I thought you wanted to sell it. I go, well, what would you put in this place? Well, what's wrong with that one there? I said, and I'll tell her what the reasons why I don't want to take that one. She goes, that one will sell.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: My wife is in tune with humans.
2: Keeps you grounded.
1: I'm a clay-brained idiot, you know. (laughs) That doesn't have any focus on what real people are looking for. So
0: That's great. Mm Do you have any? I also want to talk about your glaze colors that you use. Have you ever made your own glazes, or do you just... I, like those, I, like I do
1: a layers. lot of testing constantly. In my studio, I have more than 20 buckets of glaze. I know other potters that have four buckets of glaze. I know a potter that only uses one glaze. But my brain won't stop there. There are so many combinations of things I want to do. Plus, you know, the layering of the glaze at Cone 10 is how you get that depth of surface, depth of visual surface. That's why I like firing Cone 10, because you get that depth of surface with those glazes, unlike low-fire glazes, which are like flat color most of the time, or mid-range glazes, where you really have to layer a lot of different glazes to get those kinds of surfaces to happen. And I know that you can get it at Cone 6, but I guess I grew up with a bunch of old potters and real potters fire Cone 10. <laughs> you know, so that's where my brain is at. But I love the surface of the clay and the surface of the glazes at that temperature. At that temperature, I can make differences in my firing and make the glazes do different things. Okay. Okay. And even now I just mixed another new glaze in the studio and when I get back we'll mix even one more new glaze. And you know, I've been using these most of those glazes for thirty years.
2: That's cool. So That's what always blows my mind is it's so much science as it is art as, <laughs> gosh, the chemicals and the, the cone oh, firing goodness.
1: and well that, that was what I said all the way through the beginning of school is I don't need math and science, I'm an <laughs> artist. Yep. You know, I don't need all that crap. And then I got into clay, and it's like, oh, my God. As soon as I got into glazing, I'm like, shit, <laughs> it's, math and science. <laughs> it
2: shrinks 12% in the field yeah. Well, <laughs> even worse than patterns. that,
1: you're, you're trying to match materials in a glaze to make it work the way you want. Mm-hmm. So then you have to learn about the materials. You have to learn about the molecular weights. You have to learn how to combine those together without them running all over the place.
0: Yeah.
1: And so it's just practice, 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 and you just keep playing.
0: It kind of gives me a headache trying to think about it. <laughs> Trying
1: to like... Well, I, it took forever for me to get into glazing. I was just as happy as I could be with my pieces at a leather-hard state. They were that perfect gray <laughs> color. Yeah. And as soon as they dried, I lost interest in them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as soon as they were bisque, and they were pink and hard, I was just like, yeah, Yeah.
2: How interesting.
1: How do I make that come alive again? So in that process, I started getting into glazes. But that was way down the line. I'd have been just as happy if I never had to glaze a piece. Mm-hmm. I would have been really happy if I could have found a partner. Here, look, I made it. Now you glaze
0: it.
2: <laughs> That's how I was the like semester I was doing a lot of ceramics because, gosh, I would work so hard on making it perfect and then the glaze would just run or it would not look right. And I was like, ah, oh, forget I glazing. It. <laughs> it doesn't turn oh, out
0: right. I was so pottery.
1: Pottery is a lot of practice.
2: Yeah, it is. But people don't your, realize they're like, "Why is this so much money?" And you're like, "You don't know how many years people have spent learning how well, to do a, everything."
1: That's what somebody asked. Well, how long did it take you to do that? I said, well, "Let's see. I'm seven. I'm sixty-seven now. It's taken me forty-seven years <laughs>
0: yeah. to no get joke.
1: to." No, 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 no. But how long did it take you? I'm, I'm still learning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's still a trek. And as long as you're still learning, you're doing it right, right. As soon as you decided yeah. you can't learn anymore, it's time to bury you and put you away, or <laughs> cremate you and put you in a glaze. in the
0: kiln. Put them in the kiln. <gasps> that's so <laughs> cool. I do, I want to, like, I want to raku a pot or a vessel and put my dog's ashes in it and, like, put her hair over it, and I think I think that's cute. What a process. And I put my hair with it, and then we could be, like, <laughs> one together. Uh,
1: I've done that many times. A friend of mine died recently, and as he was dying, we were having conversations fairly often, and he says, I'm going to send you a box of ashes. And I was going, well, please don't be in a hurry to send me those ashes. But if you send me ashes, I'll do something with them. Oh, my
2: goodness. And
1: so I made all these little uh, disks with his picture. He had sent me a picture of him at the beach waving. And so a friend of mine does 3D printing. I got him to print two stamps, one with his picture on it and one with his signature on the back. And I made all these things to hand out to all the people that knew him let me see if I can find a picture of it. But it was just so cool because it was my friend Gary.
2: Mm-hmm. That's an amazing memorial.
1: It had the, pe- the clay has his ashes in it.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: And then people were just so thrilled to be able to get these, these remembrances of Gary.
2: And it's a piece of him, literally.
1: Well, yeah, his ashes were in all of that's
2: them. Cool. Oh, that's cool. that's sweet.
1: And as it turned out, they used this photograph on his memorial.
2: What are the odds?
1: And so I yes. had no clue. I got the memorial long after I'd done these. And so one side is his picture, and then the other side is his signature.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then so when Mary Lou got him, she was like, you even did his signature? I said, well, heck, yeah. Oh, yeah. But people were just so thrilled to get these things. It, it was just amazing.
0: That's very precious and personable.
2: Yeah, it's that's, that's literally one of a kind. Like, you can't get more unique than that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's wild. I like that you can, like, encapsulate— like a person, and not just with the ashes wise, but just a person in general through art. I think that's yeah. beautiful.
1: Well, it's been a joke between my wife and I that there's a bucket of glaze in the back of the studio. That's where my ashes go. Oh. But she t- jokes and tells everybody, yeah, I'm firing Mark in the kiln.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I always think that's a that's going to be a good place to hide a body if you ever need it. Well, oh, gosh. <laughs> I,
1: I've made a few threats in my time. And I tell them, well, especially at the school of when on um, first day of class, I'd go, okay, now if you don't follow the rules, you go away. <laughs> and, and unlike when you get cremated and they only fire you to two thousand degrees and there's all these bone parts left, we fire to twenty four hundred degrees. <laughs> there will be yeah. nothing left.
0: They won't find the body. <laughs> so oh God, don't be, be nice.
1: don't be a thief in my studio. There you, you know, go. We oh will take goodness. care of you.
0: Yeah. There's too many sharp objects with them, like, clay because, like, I'll be there at night and I'm like, I have a wire tool, I have a needle tool, I have a little knife, I have that. I'm protected. In yeah, that a studio. rolling pin yeah. even. Yeah, all good.
1: Hey, whatever it takes.
0: That's funny. That's great. Well, thank you for talking with us yeah, today. Yeah, thank you. What a great My pleasure. conversation. My pleasure. And then we'll see you tomorrow. For- all right. And if you have any uh, social media you
2: want to plug for people to find you, any shows coming up?
1: Uh... I have my studio tour or my studio sale from Mother's Day coming up this year in Pagosa. we're starting our first uh, artist studio tour in August. So I'm working really hard on that to get that together. We've got about 25 artists that will be involved in that. And so getting 25 people together to do something like that is quite an organization. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I'll do another sale. In Pagosa Springs, which will be the second year that they put together this high-end art show in September. Uh, I've got workshops, more workshops to do between now and then, but then I'm teaching my classes. But I have two guest artists coming into my studio for this summer. Uh, I'll be going to Farmington to do a workshop the first week of April. Uh, I love doing workshops because I get to interact with so many different people and
0: keeps
1: you busy I don't mind being the star of the show at all yeah. <laughs>
0: you sound busy yeah you got, you got
1: plans it's been real busy this year especially I started out in January we did a three-day workshop in McKinney Texas so it was three artists and the participants would spend a day with each artist and so there were like 35 people in this group so we would have a, a group a new group of 12 each day which, if you want to get some energy moving, there is nothing like a three-day workshop yeah. or a four-day workshop with thirty-five or forty people. And well, this is my experience. This is my experience. Oh, no, 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 no this is my experience. And <laughs> it's just everybody is just rolling from all the energy. It's just energizing.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: It's really cool. But this year, I'm real busy. Uh, This workshop, I did a demo yesterday at ASU. Um, When I leave here on Monday, I'm going to Fort Worth and doing another demo there at TCC Northeast Campus. And I had to leave my classes to come do all this. And then, like I said, the first week of April, I'll go to Farmington and do another two-person workshop there. And then try and just get ready for the summer because... I'll be having classes through the summer and a couple of different workshops in my studio. Yeah.
2: That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.